great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It would be hard to have a comeback if you didn't go through a difficult time. It would be hard to have a comeback and overcome something if there was nothing to overcome. Whether it's discouragement or any other thing that perhaps is plaguing you right now. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It's January 1993. The scene is Buffalo. The Houston Oilers are in town visiting the Buffalo Bills for a win-or-go-home playoff game. It's halftime, and the score is 35-3. to Poor Buffalo. Houston has mopped the floor with the Bills. Their starting quarterback is out for the rest of the game. The fans begin to proceed to the exits. It is considered not just the greatest comeback in NFL history, but the greatest comeback by some in all of sports history. Down 35-3 to at the half, the Bills do the unthinkable. They come back and win the game 41-38. to Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It's 2004. It's the ALCS Game 4. Yankees and Red Sox. And Boston is in a jam. They are in a pickle. It's Game 4 in Boston. And it is all over but the crying for the Red Sox. They trailed the powerhouse Yankees three games to zero. That number may not mean anything to you, so let me just break it down. Across all major sports that implement a seven-game series, when I say best of seven, it's two teams compete, and the first team to win four games wins the series. Best of seven, because the most games you could play is seven. In a best-of-seven series, whether it's basketball or baseball or hockey, when a team is trailing three games to one, now the Red Sox are trailing 3-0, but if when a teams are trailing three games to one, they have a statistical probability of coming back to win the series somewhere between 9 and 11% of the time when they're down three games to one. Well, in 2004, the Red Sox are down three games to zero. Game four would take extra innings. Game five would take extra innings. They battled their way back, back to New York, to do the unthinkable, to complete the comeback, only to go on to win four more straight games against the Cardinals to win the World Series. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. 2014, the Los Angeles Kings. Well, they would end up breaking my heart. That's the end of the story, but... 
They became the fifth NHL team in over 100 years. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a big hockey fan. I played two years of college hockey. But the 2014 LA Kings became the fifth NHL team in over 100 years to come back in a playoff series after trailing three games to zero in their opening first round against the San Jose Sharks. Then they became the first team ever to go on in the next two series against the Ducks and Blackhawks that also took seven games to win the series before defeating my beloved New York Rangers in the Stanley Cup Finals. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. Imagine if these teams had given up or given in or quit when they and everyone else thought it was done. Thought it was over. People give up and people quit all the time. Because the fact is that sometimes life can be very hard and very discouraging. And I've been at those points in my life. Dark points. Points of utter despair. Depression. Hopelessness, discouragement. We come under attack from our great adversary, the devil. Today's story is about a man named John Mark. Today's story is about a man who faced some challenging circumstances. Today's story is about a man who was familiar with discouragement. Today's story is to see how this man responds. Today's story is a model for us all. I don't normally preach topical sermons, but today is one of those days that I do. I'm still a Christian, I promise. Acts chapter 13, verse 5, is where we're going to follow the story. I will be jumping around in text, something I rarely do, but we will be jumping around for a purpose, to follow the life and story of this man named John Mark. Acts, the 13th chapter, the 5th verse, says this, (coughs) When they arrived at Salamis... They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Stop. They are this group of people. There's a man named John Mark. It just says John, but we'll find out in a little bit that his name's John Mark. They're there. They're taking a trip. You might think of it as a missions trip. The other people that aren't included in this verse... But we also know from later texts who are along with John Mark is a man named Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas and John Mark, according to Colossians 4.10, are actually cousins. So what we have set up here in Acts 13.5 is Paul, John Mark, Barnabas, perhaps some others, and they're on a trip, and they're razor-focused, and they have a mission. And their mission is that they are proclaiming the Word of God. Why? 
Because the early church, they had heard about this man, Jesus, but they didn't know a whole lot about him. There, there's no New Testament canon at this time. And they wanted to know, who is this man, Jesus, that you talk about, that we hear about? So, they're going from community to city to community, telling them about Jesus. Telling them the gospel. That the God of this universe created everything, and when he did, it was good. And yet through one man, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin entered the world like an unstoppable plague and virus ravaging everything in its wake. And the problem that sin presents is the character of God. Because unlike sin, God is holy and righteous and just. And God cannot tolerate the presence of sin whatsoever. Sin operates as a barrier, as a wall between us and holy God. As I mentioned as well, God is a God of justice. If you went to court, which I hope you won't ever have to go to court, and you stand before the judge, and he finds you guilty of whatever crimes you've committed, if he's a just judge, he must uphold the law. There must be a punishment for the crime you've committed. And likewise, God is a just judge. He is a just God. So, oh, he's a forgiving God. He is, but he's also a just God. And he demands payment for sin. Not only does sin separate us and block us off from God, but there is a punishment for sin, as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, a separation from God. And a place of hell, a place of eternal suffering. That we are destined to go because of our sin. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for many of us, we have no idea what that means to fall short of the glory of God. And the answer can be found in Romans 1, 23 and 25. Where Paul explains that these people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. They exchange the glory of God and the truth about God for a lie. You want to know what sin is? Sin is the preferring of something other than God to God himself. It's saying, I love this, or I desire this, more than God. I desire this job, this relationship, this house, this toy, or I love, maybe I already have those things, and I, I have, and I love, and I enjoy them more than God. That's what all sin is. All sin is essentially giving a big F-U to God. See, that's offensive. Yep, sin is offensive. That's 
That's what sin is. It's saying, I would rather love and enjoy and be satisfied with this instead of you. So step off. That's what sin is. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They've exchanged the glory of God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. That's what Paul says. And so he goes on. And there, remember, these guys are, are telling people this story. But God in his love had a plan. We got a problem, sin, hell, death. So there's a solution. It's found in Jesus. So God has a plan, sends his son, Jesus, on a rescue mission. Born of the Virgin Mary, comes to earth, 100% God, 100% man, lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death. He dies a sacrificial death despite living a perfect life because God is a just God and a penalty must be paid for sin. And so, as Pastor Dane said a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin because a debt had to be paid. Justice had to be served. You're back in the courtroom. They're taking you away to serve your sentence, to serve or pay the fine. And the bailiff comes. He whispers something to the judge. He says, hang on a second. He opens your case file back up and he says, your fine's been paid. Your prison term has been served. You're free to go. And that's what he did. He stepped in front of us. He paid the fine. He took the shot, took the hit when he hung there on that tree. And there's Satan, this mean district attorney saying, but no, God, but, but they are sinners. There they are. Look at that. And God looks at the case. He's like, no, this debt's been paid. They're free to go. And all his accusatory powers are just broken. The record of debt that stands against us is nailed to the cross. That's what Colossians tells us. And then three days later, he rises from the dead, conquering sin and death, proving that he was who he said he was, and that salvation is a free gift of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. That means you don't do anything to make salvation happen. You can't do anything People struggle with this. Well, what do I got to do? I got to be good. Most people I talk to, they think I got to be a really, really good person. The problem with that is Isaiah 64, 6 says, even your most righteous works are like filthy rags. The problem is that you, you aren't a good person. The problem is that you suck. That's the problem. And you can't do anything to resolve your sin. There are two components of salvation. It's faith and repentance. Believing in this message. I jump out of an airplane. I don't think... Okay, I'm going to stop myself as I descend to the ground. I'm thinking, pulling this chute, and if it opens, I'm saved. The only thing that's going to save me is this chute. That's it. Just the chute. The chute opens, it saves me. I'm placing all my faith, all my trust in this chute. Believing in the gospel, believing that only Jesus can save you. And repentance is this. Repentance is an about face. Repentance is a 180 degree turn. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a miracle. Where before Jesus saved me, I didn't have desires 
for him. And now he's saved me. He's giving me new desires and he's changing me. He's changing me. I'm bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, as John the Baptist says in Matthew 3. And so that's what they're doing. That's the context of this story. They're going around doing really important stuff. Barnabas and Paul and John Mark. And then something peculiar happens. Something rather vague. A a mystery of sorts. And we scroll down (coughs) to verse 13. Of Acts 13. And it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylii. But John, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. It doesn't say why John Mark left them. Remember the first time I read that, I'm like, why did he leave? That's so strange. Only he left, nobody else left. I didn't know what to make of this. There's obviously a reason he left. We skip ahead and we discover at least part of the answer to that question. Why did John Mark leave? Well, in Acts chapter 15, we get the answer, at least a partial answer. From verses 36 to 41, I will read aloud. This is sometime in the future. And it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. I'm going to go check on the the churches and the cities that, that we had already been to on our previous trip. Let's go revisit them. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Remember Colossians 4.10 tells us that's their cousins. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylii and had not gone with them to do the work. Apparently this exactly this was not exactly an unexcused absence for John Mark leaving. Apparently, based on verse 38, the fact that John Mark left back in Acts chapter 13, 13, for whatever reason, it must have been pretty lame. Okay? Must have been pretty lame, whatever the reason is, that he had to leave. Verse 39, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they, Barnabas and Paul, they separated from each other. They got in a big argument. Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, his cousin, with him, and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. An interesting story. A very interesting story. In fact, when I think about this story, I try to envision what it must have been like trying to capture this story. And I think of it something like this. Knock, knock. Knock, 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 knock. Barnabas, you home? It's Paul. Knock, knock, knock. Barnabas, are you home? It's Paul. Paul! Barnabas, how are you, old friend? Doing good. Just working out, trying to lose some weight. You look great. Thank you. 
Though I would remind you, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for both this life and the life to come. That's good. You should send that one to Timothy. I think, yeah, I think I'll do that. So I imagine you know why I'm here right now. Well, word on the street is you're planning on taking another trip, and you came here to tell me about it? Close. I actually came here to recruit you to take the trip with me. Really? Yeah. Well, of course I'll go. How soon can you leave? Tomorrow. Excellent. First thing we need to do is we need to assemble a team. So we need to, we need to get a hold of Silas, we need to get a hold of John Mark, Apollo. Wait, wait, hold on a... Did you say John Mark? Yeah, I said John Mark. He's my cousin. I, 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 know, I know who he is, Barnabas. I, I don't want John Mark coming with us on this trip. Can I ask you why? Barnabas, you... Do you not remember what, time, what happened the last time we took a trip? Yes, Jane. Do you not remember that... When we came to the district of Pamphylia, we stopped at the port of Perga. Do you remember what happened? Yeah, I remember. Um, we were there. He left. We needed him. He wasn't there. Excellent. So you can understand why I don't want to take John Mark with us on this next trip. Paul, that was a long time ago. It wasn't that long ago, Barnabas. Paul. He's grown up a lot since then. I don't think he's going to make the same mistakes. I am happy to hear that he's grown up, Barnabas. But I still don't want him to come on this trip. Paul, you're being ridiculous. Barnabas! Paul! What about the forgiveness that you're always preaching about? <sighs> Barnabas, don't make this something that it's not. I've forgiven John Mark. I just... Don't want him to come on this trip. Yeah, once a Pharisee, always a Pharisee, I guess. Huh? <laughs> All right. Can you not accept the fact that I have a good reason that I don't want your cousin to come with us? I don't care what your reason is, Paul. If you don't let him come, I'm not coming. He's not coming. Paul, then I won't be coming either. <sighs> After all, You've always taught us to bear our brother's burden. Ah, go ahead and quote me, Barnabas. <laughs> Is there nothing that I can say to change your mind? Not unless you let John Mark come. He's not coming. Well, then you can leave. <sighs> the text doesn't tell us exactly what happens next. It doesn't. So... I thought about this, and I am going to take some liberty to depict what I think is possible, if not probable. John Mark surely would have heard about this conversation. After all, it was recorded in Scripture. Perhaps he even was aware that Paul was coming to visit his cousin. Perhaps he knew that things were still a little rocky since his last departure. And I can see him being very anxious, very excited, wondering, 
How'd the conversation go? Waiting, wondering, pondering. Barnabas, you're back. Did you, did you talk to Paul? Is he in town? Yeah, uh, I, I did talk to Paul. Oh, that's great. Is, is he taking another trip? Are the rumors true? Yeah, Paul's, Paul's taking another trip. Well, that's great. Well, when do we leave? You and me, we're not, we're not going with Paul. I, I don't understand. Well, um, Paul came to my house. He told me about this trip. He invited me to come along. And then I told him that I wanted you to come. Okay. And he said that he didn't want you coming um, because of what happened when we were in Pamphylii. So he said he doesn't trust you and that he doesn't want you to be there. But I told him that unless he let you come, I wouldn't go either. So I tried. No, uh, thank you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I got it. Like, I, if, if I was Paul, I... I probably wouldn't want to bring me along either. I... I don't blame him. I, I wasn't there when I ought, when I, when I was supposed to be, and I'm, I'm not reliable. I'm not dependable. And so it makes sense why he wouldn't trust me. How could you? Like, I'm, I'm a joke. I, what value do I even bring? What value do I serve? I, I, I suck. I, I'm, I'm garbage. I, I'm just garbage. Stop it, John Mark. You're not garbage. I feel that way. You're not. God's not done with you. Just because Paul doesn't trust you doesn't mean that you're garbage. How tempted. John, Mark may have been in that moment to quit. How tempted he may have been to give up. How tempted he may have been to give in. And perhaps some of you are in here and things just haven't played out very well in your life this week, this month, this semester, the way you would have hoped they would have been. And you are in your own storm. And you are facing your own adversity. And you struggle with discouragement or you struggle with feeling worthless or, or feeling like you don't have any value or, or that you won't ever amount to anything. And there's moments in our lives when we, like John Mark, are just punched in the face with discouragement. And what are we going to do next? How are we going to respond in those moments? Are we going to throw in the towel? 
Or are we going to press on? There's also moments in our lives where I think we all need a Barnabas to help us when we're weak. Now, we're not going to go on that trip with Paul, but I think that there's work to do in Cyprus. So I was going to go to Cyprus, and I wanted you to come with me. John Mark, will you come with me to Cyprus? You want me to come with you? Yes. But what about what, but what Paul said? I don't care what Paul said. I know you, and I know that you can handle it. What if I mess up again? Then you mess up again. It's not the end of the world. I need you. You're the right man for the job. I don't know, Barnabas. I do. So come with me. Are you sure you want me to come? Yes. Come on. Okay. I'm in. All right. Good man. Come here. I love you, John. I think it's really interesting. You may remember Joseph said something to this effect in the 50th chapter of Genesis. What was meant for evil, God meant for good. What was going to be one missions trip is now two missions trip. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't give up. Like maybe you're, you're finding yourself in a situation where it seems like nothing is going your way and that you can't catch a, a break. And that relationship you thought was going to be all that it was, it, it didn't happen. Or that relationship that you want, it's not happening. Or the relationship you're in, you don't want to be in. Or, or a class that you're just struggling with and it seems the harder you study, like the lower the grades you get. Or that family member and you're praying for that health and that situation and then it, it seems like, God, are you even listening? Because everything's just going wrong. And it's frustrating sometimes. I got it. It's discouraging sometimes. I get it. Don't quit. Please don't. Please don't give up. Please don't give in. Please keep going. People ask, did John Mark ever get his great comeback? The Apostle Peter finds himself in prison awaiting execution sometime around 58 AD approximately. Before he is executed... His young protege comes to him that he's been discipling and mentoring. And he gives to his protege the recounts, his gospel eyewitness accounts of the life and the death 
and the resurrection of the Messiah, of the Christ. And that young protege, that young man he was mentoring, pinned all that he told him down in what you may know of the 16 chapters in your English Bible, referred to commonly as the Gospel according to Mark. Same guy, John Mark, pinned the Gospel of Mark. Imagine if he would have quit. Imagine if he would have given up. Imagine if he would have given in. I'll tell you right now, we would have one less Gospel account. We would have 65 books in our canon instead of 66. The implications of that, that as you heard in a paraphrase, Barnabas tell his cousin John Mark, there is work yet to be done, John Mark, and God's not done with you. Say, well, what about Paul and, and John Mark? This severed, broken relationship when he checked out when they were at the port of Perga in Pamphylia. What happened? Did they reconcile? They did. We're not sure how long it took, but they did. Some say it was at least a decade later. But as Paul pins his final New Testament letter, 2 Timothy, while he is in prison awaiting execution, in his closing remarks to his own young protege, the pastor, the young pastor at the church in Ephesus, he says, Timothy, when you come to me to visit me in prison, I want you to bring John Mark with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. That's 2 Timothy 4. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. So keep going. Keep pushing forward. God's not done working in your life either. However, this is not a message of positive thinking. I could have said everything that I've said at any non-religious event up to this point. <clears throat> Just think positively. Just have more self-esteem. And you can do it. You can make it happen. Because that is America. But that is not the Bible. If your hope and your confidence for a brighter tomorrow is based on yourself, then you've missed this story. So the question that I'll leave you with tonight is, where is your confidence based on for a brighter tomorrow? Yourself or on God, who Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours. Not every want, every need of yours, according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This isn't about if you think positively, you can do it and get over the obstacles. This is about you work, you sweat, you tire, you battle it out, 
And at the end of the day, when you get through that really difficult situation in life, you can say, if it wasn't for you, I would have quit and stopped a long time ago. If it wasn't for you, I would not be standing here today. Oh, that we all might say with the Apostle Paul, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't wasted. His grace toward me, not wasted. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I didn't give in. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Oh, that we might all be able to echo Paul's words from that passage. So don't quit. And don't give up. And don't give in. And when you are brought through that valley and through that storm, that you might be able to say as humbly as you possibly can, if it wasn't for your grace, I would not be here right now. All glory, all majesty, all dominion to you alone. This is not a message of positive thinking. It is the opposite of that. It's a message that says you do and you give everything you've got and when God brings you through that storm you give him all glory and all credit because quite frankly the problem with much of the world today is we have too high of opinion of ourselves and too low opinion of our great God and King. It should humble us. So, I want to pray. Holy Father, we love you. You are good. We are not. You hold everything together. We don't have it all together. And I thank you for John Mark. Thank you for Paul. I thank you for Barnabas, for these men that you used so powerfully ages ago that point us toward your supremacy, that point us toward your greatness, that points us toward your enabling strength in our most difficult times. God, I imagine that there may be some very heavy hearts in here right now. Just people going through tough stuff. Because it happens. Because life is hard. And sometimes it just sucks. And so I ask that you'd encourage those people right now. That they'd be encouraged by this story. And, and maybe they're not in John Mark's shoes. But maybe they know a John Mark person in their life. That you, that you would give them the opportunity to perhaps come alongside them and be a Barnabas to them to love those people straight to the power and magnificent majesty of the cross of the gospel of Jesus. We love you, God, and we are nothing without you. We are small, smaller than we think, and you are big, 
Very big, much bigger than we think. Thank you for your word. Amen.